The Lord be with you. And also with you. For any of you guys that don't know me, my name is Spencer. My wife Mallory is back with the kids today. We live down in Bates Hendricks in the like the Fountain Square area on the southeast side of downtown. And we moved here a couple of years ago to plant a church and we're part of the table now and getting ready to kind of launch out and start a community down there. So excited to be here and excited to have the opportunity to share the word with you guys this morning. Um, if you would, just bow your heads with me one more time in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to come together as your people to worship you, to lift your name up, and to hear your word, Lord. I just ask you to open our ears, open our hearts to receive from you this morning. Pray that you would speak through me and uh, just be with us today as we're together. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, I'm going to read through the scripture one more time for you guys. The, uh, the passage that we're preaching from today is Matthew 6, uh, starting with verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they... They think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need, even before you ask Him. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The good news today is that in the midst of feeling overlooked and anxiously trying to manage your reputation, your father knows your heart and he sees your work and he calls you his son, he calls you his daughter, and that frees you to live into your calling. I am guilty of the fact that a lot of times I'll slip into believing just deep down that what other people think about me must be true about myself. Um, recently, in the last couple of months, uh, a church planter moved to, back to Indianapolis. And so there's a church planter that uh, is originally had planted a church several years ago in Indianapolis and had seen a lot of success and then had gone off and moved somewhere else to be a part of a plant. And then just this past summer, like towards the end of summer, moved back to Indianapolis. Um, and this planter actually has moved back to Indianapolis to plant an Anglican church basically in my neighborhood. I mean, downtown, it's like my, my area that I've been at and kind of developing relationships for the past couple of years. Um, beyond that, <laughs> he actually, like all the relationships that I feel like I've been establishing and building, the people that I work with, 
he actually has like known these people for like decades and is like their best friends. So <laughs> I've been like, you know, doing this work of like setting up, you know, making sure we're established, that we, we know people in the area, that people know we're for the community. And this pastor moved back and it's just like, he's like, hey, I'm back. And I was like, thank God, we needed somebody to be back here. <laughs> uh, and, uh, at, you know, no fault of his own, you know, within me, I instantly just like felt this urge to compete, to like, I have to prove myself to these people like, hey, hopefully these guys are still taking me serious as a church planter. Like they do know that I'm here to plant, right? Like I did, I think I told everybody that I'm, I'm planting. Um, and I don't know if you guys have ever felt this way, but it's like in, internally, like in that instant, I almost felt like a little kid that's pretending to be an adult, you know? I feel that way a lot with parenting. Like I'm, you know, 28 now, like kind of approaching 30, got a kid with another one on the way still really don't know what I'm doing, you know, and like just feel this pressure to like behave in a way that makes others like, I guess this is what adults do. Um, <laughs> and I felt this way so strongly with this, this other pastor. I mean, I think a, a lot of it's tangled up with my, you know, my call as a church planter with the work that we're trying to do here. But just instantly, I felt like my, my beliefs, you know, were all called into question, you know, in my head, I know we're not competing with each other. But in my in my gut, I just feel like, man, I have to make sure that people are aware of like, you know, we're valid. Like what we're here to do is is a real thing. Like it has value and purpose. And like, I, you know, also I should be taken seriously. <laughs> it still kind of goes back to me. Um, I think that this insecurity, it was, you know, it's been accompanied by an urge to perform kind of in silly little ways. Uh, like if people knew that I was preparing for a sermon this week or a few weeks ago when I preached, um, you know, normally like I'm working at the office and I've got a lot going on and maybe it comes up in conversation that I'm preaching. But then I felt like in the back of my mind, like, well, maybe I should like try to just give them a really like <laughs> exciting preview of like what I'm going to do on Sunday. Like, you know, maybe I could like make sure that they hear that I'm preaching in front of a whiteboard and then I could try to do like a Rob Bell, everything is spiritual for them just really quick. <laughs> I mean, I want them to know, you know, like I, I am a church planter. Again, like I'm somebody that you should maybe consider uh, checking out their church eventually. Um, <laughs> and this, it's come up in a lot of sillier ways than that. That's just the most, the one that I'm most comfortable sharing. Um, <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever felt this way, though. Like, we have to pretend, like, we have to project this performance of, like, hey, I've got it together, just so you guys know. Like, you should be, take, you should be seeing what I'm doing. You should be taking me seriously. Uh, I've run into hundreds of different circumstances. You know, sometimes this, uh, this temptation to perform or manage my reputation is something big, like somebody moves to my neighborhood to plant the type of church that I'm trying to plant and knows everybody that I know. Uh, or, you know, maybe it's just something small, like, somebody overhears an argument between my wife and I, or I wonder if people think that I'm a good parent by the way that I'm disciplining my child or the way that I play with them. Do I play with them enough? I mean, there's like so many opportunities to try to manage our, our reputation. The good news today is that in the midst of feeling overlooked and anxiously managing your reputation, your father knows your heart and he sees your work and he calls you his daughter, he calls you his son, which frees you to live into your calling. In Jesus' time, religious people would literally blow trumpets to, like, call attention to the good works that they were doing, which doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like, in our context, that doesn't really happen. It seems silly. However, I will say, like, if that could be culturally appropriate now, I'm sure we would find a way to do it still. Like, I don't know. I could just maybe have a little trumpet on me and, like, just toot it a little bit and then do something. 
but I think maybe a modern corollary is social media, you know? Yeah. Like we have all these opportunities yeah. to post the good work that we're doing, yeah. you know? And we can pretend that we're posting it in a selfless, selfless way, like, hey, I don't know if you saw my Instagram story, but I met this person that was in need, and man, God <laughs> showed up and it was amazing. Like, look how devout I am. Look how religious I am. I'm such a good person. Uh, I feel that way a lot on social media. And honestly, it's never been easier I feel like to manage your reputation. I mean, just on your phones right now, you probably have three or more apps that you could just send something out and hundreds of people would see. So the temptation is real. So in classical Greek, the word hypocrite actually means actor. And Dallas Willard, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, this is the first time I had heard this, but he says that Jesus is the first person that really linked hypocrite, that, that word actor, with somebody's moral person, their moral character. So like nowadays when we hear hypocrite, I almost instantly, I mean, I always think of it as like, oh, they're probably talking about a Christian person, um, which I think, you know, it, it hits home, but I've heard it so much that it's almost like it's lost its teeth a little bit for me. I'm just like, oh yeah, somebody's just throwing around the word hypocrite, you know, like it maybe doesn't mean what they think it means anymore. Uh, but whenever I was referring back, like thinking through that, like what it would mean for Jesus to call the religious people of his day actors, like he's literally saying like those people are just putting on a performance like they're just showboats they're just pretending and for me that 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 had a lot of teeth i mean that that really resonated and it was like a gut punch i mean jesus is calling people that are sh you know bringing attention to their good works he's saying these guys are fakers basically um secrecy is a big part of this passage I think that our temptation is usually to take these passages, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, and just make it a new rule, a new law. Uh, Willard also says that the Sermon on the Mount is not the new law, it's just a picture of a new life. So secrecy is actually a practice that can free us from bondage to the opinions of others, yeah. to trying to convince people that we're valid, to try to impress other people. So secrecy is the practice that we can, we can all practice in our lives. But if, you, if somebody finds out that you do something good, you, you shouldn't like start whipping yourself on the back and feeling like you sinned. That's not the point of what we're talking about here. Secrecy is not our new shame system. Jesus is unpacking our motivations as Jesus is wont to do. He's getting at our hearts. So verse 1 says that we're not to practice our righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. So it's not that you have to hide every single thing that you do, but if your motivation is to be seen, that is not the right motivation. Jesus is all about getting to our motivation. He's all about getting to our hearts. If our motivation for doing good is just to get recognition, then recognition is going to be our only reward. So if that's what our heart wants, then Jesus might just let us have that. If my motivation for building relationships with my coworkers and building relationships with my neighbors and making people know that I'm for my neighborhood and my community is to impress them or to make them take me seriously as a church planter, then God may just let me have that. He may let me impress people. But that's, that's going to be the end of it. That's the end of my reward in that area. So he would let that come true for that reason. If the only thing that's prompting us to do good works in the eyes of others is, is the eyes of others, then we should really, we have to ask ourselves what that means about our own view of God, right? I think in our, in our minds we all know that uh, the, the opinions of others should not be our main motivator, but Jesus is opening up, like he's saying this so that we can consider our motivations. You don't have to like shove it deep down and hide what your motivation is and try to convince yourself and everybody around you that you haven't had 
a, a motivation that's been manipulated or warped in a way. He's bringing it up you know, so that it would make you open your eyes and see and, and look at your own life and say, where are my motivations driven by the eyes of other people? He wants to get at our motivations because he wants our hearts. He wants to transform and redeem them. He wants to redeem our motivations. In the midst of feeling overlooked and anxiously managing your reputation, your father knows your heart and he sees your work and he calls you his son. He calls you his daughter and that frees you to live into your calling. God, our father, our creator is faithful. So whether you've been overlooked or left out, unrecognized or not taken seriously or just ignored our father is with us he knows our hearts he sees your work he sees your actions and he's faithful to reward you reward doesn't mean that if you do good works and you're doing these good works not to impress people that you'll earn your salvation but the reward is beyond that it's it's a freedom that comes with those actions you're free to not have to consider or not to try to persuade people or manage their opinions of you. You don't have to think about that in every action you take. Do they think that I'm being too harsh? Do they think that I'm funny? Do they think that I'm qualified? You don't have to live in that bondage anymore, and that's your reward for embracing your calling and, and the person that God has created you to be. Uh, as far as secrecy as a practice goes, I actually had a, a pastor, a friend of mine, whenever I was like 18 and 19, and he was a, a new pastor at the church that really, I mean, he did a lot of good stuff and was very, like, it, important to my life but one funny thing that he did was when he when he would fast he would literally like lie to people that he saying he wasn't fasting and I was like I don't know if that's like the whole point of what's going on like you may I you know I don't want to just say it like super haphazardly but like I think you're taking that scripture out of like the wrong way you're taking it too too literally in this instance but he would literally like like he was like I think he did a 40-day fast one time before his wedding so maybe it was also like the look, the look good naked diet too but, um, <laughs> so he like fasted for 40 days and he like lost all this weight and we're like dude are you on a fast and he's like no no I'm not fasting I've been eating <laughs> alright alright man <laughs> yeah uh, again in the social media age I think it's easier than ever to try to manage our reputation um, I think a lot of times when I look at Instagram and Facebook and even Twitter I think Basically, the message that I'm hearing is, look at how great my life is. Like, look at how happy my family is. Like, my job is the best job. I'm happy and fulfilled and excited every morning that I wake up. And there's a lot that can come with that. First of all, I think a lot of times the post comes from a place of feeling that pressure, that bondage of needing to impress and put on a show for people. But then it also kind of just continues to perpetuate the same thing. Like, when you see those posts, when I see those posts, I feel like, like, is my, am I having as much fun as these people? Because, like, I did this same, like, I went to the pumpkin patch, and <laughs> it was okay. <laughs> so there's a lot of pressure, and it just, we just keep perpetuating this vicious cycle of trying to manage our reputations, no matter what. A light doesn't have to prove that it's a light. It just shines, and it's free to be what it's created to be. You guys are the light of the world. You were created to be light, and you shine. It's the same thing with... Me being a church planter, if God called me to plant in Bates Hendricks in Fountain Square, then I can just plant there. I don't need to prove to everybody that I'm planting there. I don't need to prove to everybody that I'm qualified or that they should be impressed by the fact that I'm planting there. I can just follow God's call on my life and be led by his spirit. And you guys are the light of the world. I've been stepping into this truth on a daily basis. I've been trying to, I have to keep reminding myself 
so this pastor is he's like working with me now so he's like part of our team in there like i see him i don't know four days of the week and he's like the de facto like pastor of the office um which is you know great like i think a lot of people there like oh we have like a pastor here like we can just talk about things that are going on meanwhile i'm like working on my computer i'm like hey uh well okay (laughs) I'm, i'm working over here but i would love to talk to you about that um so like on a daily basis i have to like remind myself to go back to this truth that i'm free from having to manage my reputation I'm free from having to, to prove to people that I should be taken seriously as a church planter. At, this, at its root, it's just an insecurity of mine that is, is tied to my calling, uh, which goes back to, at, at its core, it goes back to my identity. Um, it's all wrapped up in, is my calling true? Am I really, did God really call me to be a church planter? Um, you know, we talk a lot about our beliefs in our head versus our beliefs in our bones at the table. And my belief in my head is that, you know, I know that God is at work in my neighborhood and he has been before I got there. And so he's called me to come and join in the work that he's doing in my community. But when I've been confronted with this insecurity in myself, I feel this belief in my bones coming out of, I have to do something. I have to make this happen. God's called me to start this and be successful. So I have to go back and reconsider what is my true belief? Do I believe that I'm joining in the work that God is doing and that he's called me into that? Or do I believe that it's all on me and that I have to make something happen? God has taken me seriously as a church planter or else he wouldn't have called me. He's taking you guys seriously as fathers and mothers and sons and daughters and teachers. Whatever you do, God is taking you seriously. Even if you feel like others aren't, even if you feel overlooked, God is taking you seriously. And we're free from having to compare and to compete with the people around us. In the midst of feeling overlooked and anxiously managing your reputation, your father knows your heart and he sees your work and he calls you his daughter. He calls you his son. And that frees you to live into your calling, to be who you're called to be. So if someone sees you lose your temper with your son or your daughter, maybe you're a little bit harsh in your discipline or you're frustrated, you know, you're trying to get things together at the grocery. Do, do they think that you're a good parent? Do they think that you're just a mean person that, that, that maybe needs to, to get some help? <laughs> There's, this shows up in a lot of different ways. If, if someone is, is having a glass of wine, I think that this is one that I see a lot of times and you kind of have to like see it under the surface, but like if you're having a glass of wine, like do you have to consider like, do I need to make everybody, do I need to make an announcement in some casual way? They're like, hey, this is, this is my first glass of wine. I might have a second, but that is going to be it. I'm just going to have two glasses of wine. I just want to make sure everybody here heard me say it out loud. I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea. That's one way that we can manage our reputations. <laughs> if someone sees me and my spouse bickering, do they think that we have a good marriage? Do they think that we maybe don't have an Instagram marriage? <laughs> If I'm not available to volunteer every time the church needs something, does that mean that people don't think I'm a good Christian? Do they take me seriously as a member of the church? If they see me arguing with my siblings, do they think, do mom and dad think that I'm a good brother or sister? If I make less than an A on an, assi- on an assignment in school, does my teacher know that I'm smart or that I'm working hard or that I'm a good student? This shows up in thousands of ways, and really, they pop up every day. We, we run into ways to, to try to manage our reputation, ways of being bound to the expectations and the opinions of others and God wants to free us all of that today Mm. in the midst of feeling overlooked and anxiously managing your reputation 
your father knows your heart and he sees your work and he calls you his son. He calls you his daughter, which frees you into living into your calling. So this morning we've got a, a prayer that's in our, our booklet and we've got a, a blank that we can, we can pray together and just fill in an area that we feel like we try to manage the reputation, our reputation or others' opinions of us. Um, if we could just take a moment and just kind of reflect, let God speak to us about areas of, of our life that this shows up, this temptation to manage the expectations and opinions of others and see what God brings to the surface and then we can pray together.